I would like for you to open your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, where we were last week and the week before that. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Our subject is one of the best and my favorite, probably in all the scriptures. It's the presence of the indwelling Christ. What a wonderful thought that the God of the ages would make his habitation in you for a reason and a purpose. You, of all people, you, what a wonderful thought. Expand it, talk about it, tell me more about it, okay? But here's where we start, Second Corinthians 13, 5. It says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates, rejected, discarded? The two words examine and prove, as I've already said, have to do with putting yourself to the test. Like a company would test its product to make sure it meets their standards, and then they can advertise that product as being able to do what they said would do because they tested it and they found out that was true. You couldn't invent something or make a product and then just sell it and tell people it worked if indeed it does not work. It's easy for us to say we're Christians. It's easy for us to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm born again. That's really easy to say, but it has to be put to the test. We asked that question. Let me read another translation or two for you. Now, I don't endorse these translations. I don't know how accurate they are, but the thought. Here's one that says, examine yourselves to see whether you are holding to your faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Well, that's pretty thought-provoking. Is Christ in me? We all say he is. We don't give much thought to that. Yes, of course he is. Is he really? Is he? Another translator wrote it this way. He said, test yourselves and find out if you really are true to your faith. If you pass the test, you will discover that Christ is living in you. But if Christ isn't living in you, you have failed. Well, that's not a very comforting thought there because now I have to ask myself the questions. I asked you the questions and you get to answer them. I think I asked you these questions. I said, is Christ in you? Is he in you? We know he's here. Jesus said, if two or more gather together in my name, he said, I am in the midst of them. That doesn't mean he's in you. It means he's here. He's in somebody. But I don't know that uh, everybody qualifies because he said, test yourself. We've been good at testing other people. I used to have the Lamb's Book of Life, a copy of it myself. But I had to give it up because I had to test myself. But he says, test yourself and examine yourself. Are you in the faith? Is there evidence of it? Is there evidence of Christ in you? And if you're in the faith and Christ is in you, how did he get in you? And if he is in you, then when did he come in you? Those are not 
comfortable questions for a lot of people because so many people say, well, I grew up in church, I joined church, I've been baptized, I'm in attendance, and I'm surely as good as anybody. I don't drink, smoke, and run around and curse. And and I, I would assume that all of those are criteria that qualifies me for glory. And yet, he says, test yourself. Is that what it means? If Christ is in you, we said this so far. If Christ is in you, it means you've been born again. You have had a complete change of your nature. And I don't want to take up this much time, but I just thought of it. Put your finger there and turn to Ezekiel 36 again. Ezekiel chapter 36, because this was what Jesus was referencing when he told Nicodemus, you mean you're a teacher of the Jews and you don't know what it means to be born again? I used to wonder, well, where does it say that in the Old Testament? Well, it may not use the words born again, but we have the presentation of it here in Ezekiel 36 and verse 25 through 27. This is going to happen, he's saying. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. And we've already said about Christ will cleanse his church with the washing of water by the word. Jesus told his disciples in John 15 in verse 3, he said, Now you are clean through the word that I've spoken to you. Well, here's what he's talking about in the Old Testament. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and all your idols, I will cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put, here's the new birth, I will put my spirit, the spirit of God, I will put my spirit within you and what? Cause. Now, can he do that? If God makes you his personal habitation, his personal purchased possession, that which he has bought with a price and you are his and no longer your own. Are you with me? I no longer belong to me. I gave me to him, and he owns me by my consent. I give myself to him. I am his property. Then he has a right to do with it whatever he wants to. He can send it where he wants to. He can determine it any way he wants to. And if he wants to cause us who are his to walk, as he says, to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them, then he can do that, can he? Because the truth of it is, it is not within a man, Jeremiah said, it is not within a man who walks to direct his steps. We can try the religious thing. We can learn the routine. We can learn the ways. We can sing the hymns, know how to clap, stand, be still, and say amen. We can learn that by observation, and we just learn it. But there's a difference in your nature and the character of your life, your motives, your reasons, Everything changes when Christ comes in. And if nothing changes, he did not come in. And you need to prove yourself to see if he did come in. If your life really is different than it used to be. If your desires are changing. If that mouth that used to be so negative is becoming positive. If that down in the dumps, gloomy old stuff is giving way to new life. If you're seeing things differently, being a new creature in Christ and old things are passed away, if you've been born again, this is the way you'll live. You'll find friends that have the same experience. 
You'll find your pleasure not in politics, but in Christ. No longer do you find satisfaction in hobbies and stuff. It's okay to have them. But your ultimate satisfaction is in Jesus. And that's who you want to serve. That's who you live to serve. I serve a risen Savior, the song said. He's in the world today. I know that He is living no matter what men say. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer in just a time. I need Him. He's somewhere near. He's always near because He lives within my heart. Well, test yourself to see if He really does. After all these years... Does that turn out to be true? And, you know, instead of me asking you if Christ lives in you, maybe I should ask your mother or your father or your husband or your wife or ask your friends. I could ask you if you're born again, you would say yes. What would your friends say? What would your neighbor across the street say, the people you work with on the job? What would they say? Yes. Well, listen to it again. He said, I will cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them so you'll be faithful. Verse 12, and you'll dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is who God is the God of. He will not be ashamed for you to call him God because he is directing your steps. He is the Lord of your life, governing and guiding and making. So, if He's in you, you're born again. And as I said, that makes you special. Of all the people in the world, you're special to God. Because He has personally made you His own. Plucked you out of the miry clay. Planted you in His courts. And there He tends to you. Working in you the things of His good pleasure. So that when you become what He wants, He can say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And He did it. And he did it. He did it because he is God. Second thing we said last week, that Christ in you makes you strong. Makes you strong. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he lives within you to strengthen you. Ephesians 3 verse 16, concerning your strength, the prayer that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Now, this was a prayer. It's not an automatic. He said that God would grant you this. If you keep yourself in right ways with God, this is what God will do. He will grant you to be strengthened with might by His Spirit. That will enable you to cope with every day of your life, everything you'll ever face. The indwelling Christ is there to make you strong, and He is strong. Not only that, but third thing we said last week was that He makes you an overcomer. You don't fall prey to the devil just because He's after you. You resist the devil, and He flees from you because the one inside who is directing traffic is the one the devil knows He cannot defeat. And if He is in charge, and you're obedient to Him, then He has to obey you too, because He knows that you are willing to trust God with all of your needs and so on and so forth. A fourth thing, this business of binding and loosing. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Essentially, as the Amplified Bible says, whatever you declare unlawful and illegal on this earth. 
because you are his representatives here. The devil comes into your house, comes into your circumstances, comes into your business, whatever, and starts threatening you with thoughts and fears and feelings. If you allow him to do that, so will God. Are you with me? If you don't want to fight, if you don't want to take the weapons, which is the sword of the Spirit and so forth, if you don't want to turn to God and trust God for the results with His weapons, then He'll let it happen. The Bible does say my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They could have known. They were too busy to know or not sure, and so they rejected it. And therefore, the one thing that God watches over to perform, the people rejected. And when the devil came in, they couldn't bind him. They couldn't forbid him. They couldn't resist and stop him and say, no, you don't. No, sir, not here. You used to, but not anymore. I bind you in the name of Jesus. And heaven will back that because you're using his utensils. You're employing the weapons that God gives you. Doesn't the Bible say resist the devil and he'll flee from you? So you speak to him. You make commands. You won't read this in very many books you buy today. But in resisting the devil, you take a stand as a Christian. You know why? Because I have a right to. I have been brought out of a place where I was victimized my whole life. I'm in a place now, a place of victory. Because I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm no longer a grasshopper. I'm a giant. I look down now at the circumstances in my life and know that greater is he that is in me, this indwelling Christ, than he that is in the world. And I can overcome him. And if I do resist him, he will flee from me. Said he would. So I want to hide his word in my heart. So that gives the Spirit of God something to remind me of that I can employ against the devil. So that I can overcome. I have a testimony of overcoming. I was able and so on and so forth. Fifthly this morning, the indwelling Christ, another thing you can count on is that he is in you to bless you. Now there's nothing wrong with being blessed in spite of what you read today in the bookstores. To be blessed is okay. It's not the bookstore's fault. They just sell the stuff. But a lot of people today are writing stuff that Christians read and, I guess, believe. One of the things they warn us about are these preachers who talk about you being blessed maybe too much. And we shouldn't be so blessed. Look, you got your sins forgiven. You don't need to have things. You don't need to, you know. And you think, well, there's eight thousand promises in the Bible. Can we have any of them? No, you can have one of them. He forgives your sins. And then he goes off somewhere and that's it. And you just do the best you can in this life. He doesn't always want to heal your body or bless your needs or get your needs met because you'll have a better testimony in your struggle. Now, people believe like that and therefore they never exercise their faith because they don't have any. That kills faith. Faith is counting on God to do what he said. But if you tell me that God doesn't mean that or he might not do that, I can't count on him to do what he himself isn't willing to do. Now, you tell me that he watches over his word to perform it, period, then I can have faith. The basis is there anyway. But he wants to bless us. 
In fact, in Ephesians 1.13, he said, He has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Already blessed. Can you imagine as my eyes are being opened, as I'm growing in the Lord and beginning to see more and more of what he has already said, that he has already given the blessing to us. Blessings, plural. What kind of blessings? What Anything you need. How about peace and joy? He is a God of peace. And he said in John 15 and 16 that he is a God of joy. There's joy in believing, Romans said. We should be joyful. That's one of the blessings of life. We don't have to be afraid. He has delivered us from half of our fears. Oh, all of them. He's delivered us from all of our fears. They still come around because the devil's not convinced. You believe any of this. But he will prove you. He will test you. God himself will see that you're proven. You don't know what's going on, but like when Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, he said, you know, the devil has desired you that he may sift you as wheat. But he said, I have prayed for you. I'm not going to intervene here and get you out of this because this is part of you proving yourself that you really mean what you say you, you believe. He's going to come to shake you like an old dish rag. And Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your membership in that big church won't fail you. You know what he said? He said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Not faith in possibilities, but faith in absolutes. Because if God is anything in what he said, he is always absolute. If he said it, he will do it. Oh, well, we know that he could. We know that he has. Yes, we do know that he could. We do know that he has. And we know that he will. Well, he did it back then. He might not do it today. Then God is not the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then he's changed his mind. He said, I'm the Lord in Malachi 3.6. He said, I'm the Lord. I changed not, but maybe he's changed his mind. He hadn't changed a bit. If he said, I will bless you when you go in, and I will bless you when you come out, then he does, and he will. If he said, I'll bless you in the country, or I'll bless you in the city, where else could you be? You're in, you're out, you're somewhere, so wherever you are, the blessing's yours. He said, I'll bless whatever you put your hands to. He said, I'll bless your basket and your store. I'll bless everything about you, what things ever you desire. Or if you will delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. Maybe this is too good. Maybe we don't have enough pain in this. Maybe there's no agony in all of this. Maybe that's why people call us a cult. Or maybe God meant what he said and the cult's on the wrong foot. Maybe the disbelieving is not with us. Maybe the disbelieving is with others who are trying to change what God has said and made it a lie. They put a question mark where God put a period. Maybe so. But he said he would bless you. He blessed your family, bless your children, bless the work of your hands. He even went, like in Deuteronomy 28, he even said that he would make us a holy people. Amen. You can't get it better than that. It's got to lead to that. 
not only a people that he has chosen, but that a people that he is refining, a people that he is purging, a people that he is bringing up to a place where, though they are the uncomely parts of this earth and the ones that nobody else would chose, these are the ones in whom God is going to show his strength because he personally chooses to live in these people and manifest himself in these people because they have chosen to believe. Or do you believe that? Didn't Jesus say in John chapter 14 once, he said, He that believeth... Somebody's got to help me with this. He said something like... Somebody turn to John 14. One of you preachers up here in the front, turn over John 14. I think in verse 21 and 23, He that hath my commandments... You've got them right there in your lap. you got them. He that has my commandments and memorizes them... Read that, Caleb. See, see what it says. Fourteen twenty-one. He who has my commandments and keeps them. Wait a minute. He that has my commandments and what? We're like in radio preachers now. One reason, one preaches. But <laughs> he that has my commandments and what? He say keeps them. That means carry it around with you in a Bible form. I'm keeping it with me. What does it mean? He that has my commandments and keeps it. What does that mean? No, it means you got one of those little Bible cases. It's in your car. You bring it to church. Hallelujah. Or does it mean more than that? Does it mean that you have His Word inside and you have made a decision? Because we live by decisions and choices. You made a choice to what? Do it? All right, go ahead. Read. Are you telling me then from that verse of Scripture that if I love God, I'll be faithful? That if I'm not faithful, I don't love God? Maybe I should do some proving here and testing. Maybe we should all have a little quiet time. Am I obeying God? Am I following Him according to what He's saying? Or am I just in the midst of saints who do? I'm running with a crowd that does and hope a little that will rub off on me and I'll start doing it. I wish it worked like that. But anyway, he that has my word and keeps it, he it is that loves me. And what will happen? He shall be what? Loved by my Father. Now, verse 23, because we're getting down to this part here. It's 101 at 23. Read it loud now. Preachers have to talk loud, okay? Wait a minute. Now, see, we got a problem here. We got a problem. Now, we do. We got a problem here. We need to fix this before we go on. He that has my commandments loves me. Did it say that? But then it says, and, there's a conjunction that leads to this, and he shall be loved by who? By my Father. Well, now, are you telling me then that God loves those who are faithful? Well, see, there's a little theological disturbance here. That would mean that God then is not exactly loving everybody. That means he might throw rocks down on his enemies or cause earth to open up and swallow a bunch of them. Okay, anyway, we don't go into that. But he said here, he that has my commandments, he loves me and he shall be loved of my Father. And, read it. We will come to him. Who is we? The whole package. We will come to Him. This is the indwelling Christ, brothers and sisters. We will come to Him and make our abode with Him. Why? 
Why would God do this? What would compel God to make his abode in anybody? It's because you made a choice in your response to him to do what he said. You're not good at it. You're not very professional with it. You mess up a lot. You may stumble. (laughs) But your heart is set upon doing what he said. I found a new way of living. I found a new life divine that I'm having to have a lot of trouble with. But you're trying. I don't care if you're as good as somebody else. You're trying. Your heart's in it. You're trying. And he said, when God sees that, he says, we will come and make our abode. This is the indwelling Christ. You've got the God of the ages living in you. Something is in there for your good and for his glory. Even as Peter wrote, he said, we have this inside of us called the divine nature. And we have been, by virtue of this, delivered from the corruption that is in the world through its lust. We don't need to lust anymore for stuff. We can have our own. I don't need to covet what you got. He got another new car. I wish You don't need to do that. You can have your own. Oh, surely not. Surely so. God blesses us. Christ in me is constantly at work in me. One of the things he does is to inform me. Teach, inform, bring light. Jesus said, when you get the whole package, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he shall show you things. This is going to prepare me for tomorrow, isn't it? And for the end times, I'm not going to be caught unawares if I'm paying attention. I've got a blessing package of plenty inside of me. I've got God. The whole thing is in here inside of a human being. Oh, make it real. Make it real. Like it is when you're born again, it's real. And you begin to... Search these things out. God said, I remember the first time I claimed a new home. I knew nobody that had ever done that. Unless there's a fictional character somewhere in a book. But I knew of nobody that had ever done it. And I did it because it was in my heart to believe that. I just sort of raced after these things. While some folks say, well, you know, I, I don't know about that. I, to me, it's thought, you know, why not? Why not? Let's be game. And one day, down the road, it happened. And then I read in Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 8, use the word house with an S on it, plural. Houses. Houses. Plural. More than one. Z. And I realize as I'm standing here today, as I look back in my life at all these wonderful Ebenezer stones that remind me of the goodness of God in my past, I look back at all those things. I've had a number of houses. And I thank God you have done it. Sometimes I didn't give you the thanks for it at the time because it just happened. I didn't realize it. I think I have been blessed more than anybody in the world. And people say he's in error. Well, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Why wouldn't God bless his own? The earth is the Lord's 
and the fullness thereof. It's not for the heathens. God says the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. God makes a distinction between people on this earth. He chooses to bless some and others lose their blessing to the sum. It's what he said. Now, if he said to me, Hamilton, I want to bless you. I want you to be blessed. I want you to have peace and joy and goodness. And I want your barns to be full. I've had one, two or three. I've one blown over and I got a new one filled it. But I had barns, garages, closets, basements. <laughs> they are full. I am not boasting about what I got because I need to get rid of half of it. I'm just saying that God, on His side, has never failed to perform His Word. I might not have been mindful of it, but I look back this morning. I look back in the last 40-some years of my life, and, and He has done exceeding abundantly above all that I have asked. Blessings, he said, these blessings shall come upon you and what? Overtake you. Here they come. You're going 50 miles an hour. Your blessings are going 75. And you get blessed. Let me tell you one of the things about blessing. People notice it. Especially if you did it without trying to get it, conniving in somebody. You just... Innocently on purpose, God bless. And all these things. People realize that the way you got it wasn't by conniving people and trying to get money or trying to get property or something out of, you know, playing a role. You just simply trusted the Lord and said nothing to nobody, anybody, and God bless you. And they want to know, how would you do this? The Bible says, be ready always to give an answer. That would be one area in your life they would give an answer to. Peace and joy would be a greater one. When the world's falling apart and you're not alarmed because you know that God's in control. He said that you'll see a thousand fall by your right hand, but it won't come nigh you. Because concerning you, he gives his angels charge. And they will keep you in all your ways. That is a blessing. Keep you safe on the highways. Being able to pray and have an answer from God that He will bless my trip, that He will bless the work of my hands, He will bless my business, He will bless the, my enterprise. As long as my heart is clean and pure and right and my motives are good, I'm not trying to hurt people, I'm not trying to do anything, I'm just trying to trust the Almighty God to do for me what He said He has and He will do it. God doesn't need help. Because when you do it your own way and you say, come on, help me, Lord, then you get all the glory for it. But he doesn't need our help. He just needs our willingness to stand with him and trust him and do things his way. Promises. Somebody said, well, don't you think that the promises you were quoting were in Deuteronomy 20? That's Old Testament. Well, all of that's, you know, crumbled and gone away and fallen. And... No, it hadn't. All the promises they wrote of in Second Corinthians were referencing the Old Testament. They didn't have a New Testament. Zondervan hadn't come along yet. <laughs> Nelson Bible. No, none of the Bible publishers were in the world then. There wasn't even a printing press in the world then. The only thing they had were the scrolls. 
Jesus went in the temple. Remember, they handed him one, and he opened it up and read it. And that's what he brought to the New Testament. Paul said, all the promises of God are in Christ, yes and amen. All of them are. What promises? The one you just quoted in Deuteronomy 28 or the ones in all the Psalms. Psalms 91. No evil, the secret place, long life. That's Psalm 91. Psalms 34. Marvelous promise. Some Psalms have multiple numbers of promises in them. They're yours. All these things are ours. God didn't write this down so it could just be poetry in motion. It's not something to enlighten our literary desire. It's the Word of God. It's what God says to this congregation right now in this room in your seat. This is what He's saying. We're trying to figure out about all of our tomorrows. God's already in your tomorrows. He says today is the day you live. Make application of the Word today. Christ in you is encouraging you that way. He's the one who wants us to do it. All these promises are yes and amen. Turn to Galatians chapter 3 because when people say, well, that was Old Testament. or I've read this stuff before. We can't claim those Old Testament promises. Well, I, I don't really beg to disagree with you. I just disagree with you. All right. But in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, and the Scripture, that would mean, in this case, the Old Testament. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now, what nation are we in? Are we in this nation, the United States? So does that mean that this nation too would be blessed? In this nation, what state are we in? Just say it. Kentucky. Now, what town are you in in Kentucky? Shelbyville. Does that mean this Abraham's promises can apply not only to this country, but this state, and maybe even this city, or maybe even your address? Does it mean that? All right, let's go on. Because I want to get this right. Verse 13 and 14, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That. He hung on a tree in my place so that the blessing of Abraham, which was held back from me because of sin, now that it might come on the Gentiles, which I think I am one, through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Not only the promise of receiving the Spirit, but the promise that the Spirit brings us. All Scriptures God breathes. You can see it two ways. It is a promise. And you can receive the promise that He will live in your heart too. But anyway, and then verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, that's a quote, which is Christ. Now, does this say to us that the promises were made to all of Abraham's descendants, including Christ, the focus of all these promises? And that if Christ is in you, then it's true what he said in 2 Corinthians one twenty. 
all the promises of God are in Him. Yes? And amen. For His glory. He's going to get the glory for all these promises coming to pass. Then look at the last verse in this book. Verse 29. And if you be Christ, examine yourself to see if you are. But if you be Christ, he said, then are you Abraham's seed? Now, wait a minute now. I thought the, seed, what, the promise is made to Christ. And if you're in Christ, then all the promises that were made to Abraham are yours also. Okay, so that settles it for me forever as to who the Old Testament promises apply to, not only the Jews and the people in that day, but also to whoever is in Christ and Christ is in. That's who these promises are for. So you folks, you have needs in your family, you have needs with your children, you have needs with your own life and your own body, your mind, your heart. We all have needs. I think it's part of the plan to have a need so that we can turn to the one who alone can meet our needs. We spend time with him and we begin to lean on him and trust in him and cry out to him. There's nothing wrong with that. To draw nigh to him because he's inside there. He uses promises. He uses promises to get your attention. You want that? Yes. You really want this? Yes. Ask me for it. Didn't he say that? Ask and you shall receive. He didn't say when. He just said you shall. That your joy may be full. Didn't he say that? So you ask. And then he delays the answer for a little while. Or a little too long for some people. And you ask and I believe. Okay, how do you do this? Okay. I believe... I believe I have what's it, received because I have asked. And God is faithful. I believe I have received. Okay, now you're learning. You don't know really like you're going to know, but you're learning. But that's okay. You're learning. So God says, now I'm going to teach you what that means. This happened to me with a car, an automobile. Well, will he really do that? Well, ask him. God isn't offended if you ask him for a car. God doesn't upbraid us because we ask. I asked him for a car. And I couldn't talk to anybody. I said, what do you think about it? Because they go, I don't know. So I asked him myself. I didn't go for a new one. <laughs> Just a better used one. And then the one I was driving began to fall apart. Wait a minute. I was doing all right until I prayed. Everything was fine. At least I was getting there. A little musical when I get in there, but the colors in the back, the blue and all of that. But since I've asked, though, this thing has really gotten a little tough here. Then the tires go flat with no jack in the trunk. You borrow a jack, the tire's flat, the spare. And you're... Whew. I didn't have this problem before I prayed. Why am I having it now? You're being tested, dear one. You're being tested. Come on, pilgrim. You're, you're getting ready. You're on a journey. God is letting you see just the kind of person you are. You're a bratty little snotty kid. 
the way you are. You didn't know you were like that until you used your faith. I claim a car in the name of Jesus. All right? You believe you got it? Oh, I do. Hallelujah! A month later, you got that car? Yeah, I think so. Another month later, how's that car coming? Mind your own business. Three months later, How's that car coming? I went to the bank and got another one. Why'd you give up? Well, it was three months. You know what? The car was a week away. You might find that in turn. One week away. One week. Seven days. Somebody talked you out of it or you gave up. Or you can just drive this thing with square wheels and, and, and do all of that that makes that beautiful little ticking motor. And then one day you finally put a smile on your face. Look, just rejoice, just rejoice. Rejoice evermore, for this is the, uh, uh, I guess. So you start rejoicing, and you know what? It comes in the mail, the little envelope with $3,000 in it, 30 $100 bills, which your wife had spread across the table, never seen that much money ever. You better come home. Come home. So I, I came home, went upstairs to that apartment. She had it on the table like this. And a little note said, this is from the Lord to buy your new car with. Well, I looked for two days for a new car. It was about to go back into the, I ain't got no money. I just, and I thought, wait a minute. Peace and joy. Peace and joy. Count it all. Um, is that still in the Bible? Count it all joy when you encounter divers' trials, knowing this, that the testing of your faith is working in you something of excellence. And you'll be complete and perfect when it's done. So you no longer put your emphasis on your toys, but on the toy giver. And the phone call comes later, another phone call. Go over to a certain place and take your... $3,000 in your car with the square tires over to the certain Ford dealer and pick up your, your new Ford. And I did. I can tell you about it now, and I can tell you that what I'm saying works because it worked for me. Didn't read it in a book, didn't follow anybody else. I believed it myself. And I have found through the years not only cars but airplane, houses. And from there, I mean, it's just whatever you want. As long as you delight yourself in the Lord. Long as God is the emphasis of your life, He can trust you. You can go to Israel. You can go to other places. You can have a new car every year. As long as it doesn't control you, but you control it. You can have a used one if you want it. God said He'll give you the desire of your heart. And you shall walk in peace and joy. And others about you who have known you in your ways begin to see as they did me, where'd you get the car? What'd that cost you? Actually, it didn't cost me anything. Oh, yeah, right. How'd you get it? I believe God. Oh, come on. How'd you get it? That's church talk. How'd you get it? Then they begin to realize that you got it because you asked him for it. That's part of the blessing. And then people started listening to what you said. Some of those who thought you were a little flaky begin to come and sit and listen. They would listen with intent. 
intention because they knew you before. Now they see what's going on. And they can see sometimes in the difficulties in your life that you have learned how to count it joy because the other stuff is only evidence of childishness and you can't mature and be fully grown and complete unless you overcome. And you're learning that. It's just part of how you prove to see whether or not you're in the faith. Is there evidence of God working in you that kind of maturity? Bringing you from what you were to what He wants? This is the power of the indwelling Christ. This is what it means when He said He is at work in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. We are His representatives, His ambassadors. Hopefully they see Christ in us and take note that we have been with Christ. We're Christians. That means that we live on His terms, that we are His people. Let me tell you another blessing. This is Communion Sunday. We're going to take communion here shortly. The one who lives in you, like I'm describing, is also your doctor. Not everybody's faith is able to launch into every detail about that because we are growing. And sometimes we do stumble with some of these things. We don't give up. We don't have to, you know, lay down and quit. You know, I realize that in the aging process, I'm not as strong as I used to be. I can't do things, a lot of things I used to do. I can still whip my wife, but I mean, I can't do, you know, I don't see as well as I used to. Maybe don't hear quite as well. It doesn't bother me to wear glasses to read. I don't have more of them here, but it doesn't bother me to use that to make it easier for me to study and to learn things. Don't you think God could fix it? I'm sure he could. That doesn't mean because that he could. That doesn't mean that in you that you have appropriated, that you have that kind of faith for that. I wish I could just say you can have faith for anything you want to. Just, But the one who authors your faith is the one who inspires it. And I'll guarantee everybody in here is being pointed to something. A lot of people not using their faith. He's in there working in you this and that to bring you to a place where it is. The faith that you have is the faith that he gave you. It's not wrong to struggle with things. It is not right to disbelieve. We have to be in pursuit of having things the way God has promised to give them. And if this is what he does, this is what he does. How many of you believe that God could protect you with, with no doorknobs on your house? You could unlock every door of your house in the neighborhood, and God could keep everybody out of your house. You could take all the fire extinguishers out of the house. You'll never need them. Then why do we have tough stuff like that in our homes? It never has occurred to a lot of people that that's a big necessary need in my life to believe like that. Yet for some people, it's, well, I think we should believe for everything. And there's nothing wrong with that. I would agree with that. But I'm just saying that Christ in you, he is the one who inspires us. And one thing that he inspires us to do is to trust him for our body's needs. My body has needs occasionally. And all I have to do is turn to my resident doctor who forever makes house calls. I'm talking about emergency room containment. It's all in here. How do you get it in here? That's the way he does it. That the one who lives on the inside of you as Dr. Jesus, 
is the one who not only makes house calls, but the one who said that nothing is too hard for him. You don't have any condition in your life that he can't fix. There's nothing too hard for God. One of the things that puzzles us in our life, then why is it because we pray so much things didn't happen? I don't know that anybody can just answer that. I don't know. I don't know about you. I, can, I know about me. When things aren't going right in my life, I'm the first one I deal with. I assume nothing. Well, I go to church. I preach a sermon. I walk by faith. I've got a car. You know, so you can still open the door. When I can't find things, I, I deal with myself. What have you done? What's going on here? Well, for three days in a row, I can't find my keys or my checkbook. They're playing games with my mind. I say, wait a minute. I rebuke you, Satan. you got no right to do this. And then, okay, I do find my checkbook and my keys. You know what? We have access to any need that we can ever have. My God shall supply all of them. Now, he said shall, not could, not might, but shall. All your needs, you meet the conditions, he'll supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Turn to Proverbs 4 for just a moment as we begin to wind down. Thank God we didn't say close. We just said wind down. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20. Attend to my words, incline thine ear into my sayings. Now we understand that, don't we? Look at it. Turn off the TV. Turn off your phone. Turn off that ignorant computer. Turn it all off and be still. Just be still. You need this. You need time with God. You need your mind all to yourself. I said, what does that mean? Because you let so many other people in there and they got so many things going on. It's nice, as I told a person one time, I like those times when I have my mind all to myself. And I remember them thinking... Yeah, when, when you're not in there wanting something, it's just me alone and I can concentrate on God and not have any clutter, any interference, and just be still. Turn all the junk off, roll the windows down so there's no distractions because the devil uses anything. And just sit down and look at his word and ask yourself this question. Do I believe what I'm reading? If I do... Is there evidence in my life that I can point to that I believe this? If they're hidden, then I am failing somewhere because I do want this to work in my life. My son, give attention to my word, incline thine ear into my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thy heart, for they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now, the modern version of that is, well, this is talking about sins. Sin is a sickness, and th this is just simply talking about sin. If you keep this word and so forth. Well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I broke this down. I look up the word health. Health to all your flesh, marpe, and it comes from another word which means healing. So this is what the definition I get from this word. It's a masculine noun indicating health, healing, a remedy. It refers to the restoration, cure, or renewal from an illness or sickness. 
It has the sense of health or healing with respect to the body. You say, well, that's just one promise. One's enough. One is enough. Let me tell you something that goes along with this. One is enough. Wonderful verse. But the crumbs that fall from the table, just a crumb. The stuff the dogs get to lick up and can't taste, just a crumb. I don't need a bite. I don't need the whole loaf. Give me a crumb because there's enough potency in one word from God to dissipate any kind of problem that comes around, physical or otherwise. Sickness does not belong to us. Sickness has not been assigned to us. Sickness is the work of the devil. Sickness is always the work of the devil. Whether inspiring you to abuse your body or stay up too late or do something to worry and therefore get something, it's still inspired of the devil. It is. The devil's behind it all. Otherwise, in Jesus was healing sick people would have been working against his father. There's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of light brings life. The kingdom of darkness, Proverbs 4 says, brings sickness and disease and illness. We don't have to be sick. It's not required in this life that you be sick, and yet most Christians think that way. And I know everybody you know. All I'm saying is that according to Scripture, Isaiah 53, He bore our diseases and He carried our pains, and by His stripes... We're healed. There's our word healed again. As verified in Matthew 8 and verse 17, by his stripes we were healed. The Bible says in, in Isaiah 53, he bore away. Who bore what away? Jesus bore. Jesus took upon himself that which was ours, which was belonging to us. In this case, our sickness, sorrows and griefs, they said in the King James. And you could use sorrows and griefs. That type of lifestyle, which a lot of people, well, Jesus took that too. But also, more definitive of those words, he took your pains upon himself. He wasn't sick and painful. He was simply a sin bearer. He took it, all that was due you, he bore all of that at the cross on your behalf. So that you can be free from all of that. Therefore, I say to you, we don't have to have what God laid on Jesus. The devil has no right to lay on us. By his stripes, we were healed. How do you know that? Because the one on the inside amplifies that and makes a big deal out of that. Because more people probably quit God over healing, over sickness and ailments and a lack of getting things happen or getting answers than anything else. He bore it. I looked up the Hebrew word bore. It means to lift, to bear, or to carry. He lifted it off of you. I was sick my whole life. I grew up sick. All my ancestors were sick. My family was sick. Everybody was sick. I just grew up like that. Long operation at the age of 20. It came through the family tree. And the constant colds and pneumonia and the sickness. I don't even know how I went to college on a basketball scholarship with all of this corruption in my body. I don't. Man, I might have been a legend if I hadn't had all. But anyway. 
Just kidding, just kidding. Why is there so little of healing testimonies in the church today? The big church simply says God could, and God has, but you don't know that he will. And therefore, there's no faith for that, because you can't be sure. Faith is, is based on what is certain. And the only thing that is absolutely certain forever is the Word of God. Because God watches over that. It's eternal, never passed away. Its standard stands forever. Why is there so little of these testimonies today? Why do people fight this so much? Why is it such a, a problem? I'll show you one verse. Turn to Isaiah 53 and verse 1. Isaiah 53 and verse 1. Who, the question is, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? That means to disclose or to uncover. To whom? I'm asking you all this morning, asking you out there in streaming land. To whom? Where are they? Who has a revelation of the arm or the power of the Lord in their life? Who has it? Who can I look at and see by evidence in your life, your testimony, that God's power lives and resides and works in you? Could it go back to the first part, who's believed? Is there a problem with faith? Is it a believing problem? I mean, all these glorious, wonderful things that we all aspire to. Oh, if I could only, oh, I wish I had all oh, Brother Hamlin. I know you. What's the problem? He didn't say it to some of us and not to others. He said it to us. Who's believed this? Who believes what we've been preaching here? Who believes it? Well, who believes what the Bible says? Forget about here. Who believes what the Bible says? Who has believed our report? Who, to whom, has God's arm been revealed? That's a word for his strength. People act like it hasn't been. They still talk about their problems. I don't know what I'm going to... And so the question before he gets into Isaiah 53 about what he actually did, he said, who believes this? Who believes this? In Isaiah, go back to chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 9. Here's the problem. Isaiah 7 and verse 9. The second half of verse 9. If you be willing, that means it's an act of your will. It's up to you now. If you be willing and obedient, he doesn't say that, does he? He says that in chapter 1. But I'm, I, let me emphasize it. If you're willing and you're obedient, then what he says anywhere in his word is yours. It's up to you. But in verse 9, the second part of the verse, he said, If you will not believe, he said, you will not be Establish. One writer said, or one commentator or translator says, if your faith is not enduring, you will not endure. Because where your faith goes, you go. If your faith is in sickness, well, I bet I'll get it again. Then you'll get that. You go where your faith is. Any of us, all of us. Well, you know, my mom had this same condition, and here's what it is. Well, then that's where you're going. That's what you believe. 
Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaking. You're telling us what you believe or what you said. Oh, I believe in God. But then you turn around and talk about something else. You're a double-minded man. You're unstable. That's why nothing's working. We don't believe. Now, we're offended because somebody told us we don't believe. But the fact of it is, on the way God describes it, we don't believe it. We think we memorize it and quote it and listen to the preacher preach about it. Therefore, it ought to happen. But you've got to believe it. You have to believe what he said. Faith is what we have from God for something. Faith is always right now concerning something that hasn't happened yet. Or it hadn't come to pass yet. I've got it right now. It's To me, it's the very evidence. It gives reality to what isn't seen yet. My faith is the evidence of what I don't see. But my faith is always because of something. Something that has been inspired to my heart by God. The greater one inside of me is working with me, telling me, you can believe this. Ask me for that car. Ask me for that house. But what would people think? Well, if you're more worried about that, that's where your faith is. You can bypass people and be concerned about what God thinks or what man thinks. Oh, no, 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 no. I'll go ahead and get used to this early in my life. I'm going to be rejected. I found out by lots of people. But I'd rather be accepted by the Lord. So you just say what God said. And God begins to encourage you to take a step of faith. Don't be afraid of what people think. That's why you don't step out. Step out. Make sure you have it. Make sure that this is what your heart has embraced, that God has given to you. And realize that the author of your faith is the indwelling Christ. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He inspires us. He quickens us to grasp as true what is not revealed to the senses. And the reality of what you don't see is great enough with you to cause you to act like it is so even though you can't see it. It becomes the evidence of things not seen. You begin to walk like something is true, though it hadn't manifested. And people do think you're a little bit strange. You're walking around with a limp or your horse or you're not feeling good. You go to church anyway or you do your best with what you got. What's wrong with you? By the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. We don't look like it. He didn't say I look like I want to pray. He said when you pray, believe. I want to be guilty of believing. That doesn't seem like that's honest. Well, what's really not honest is you just say you're saved and you act like a heathen. You're born again throwing a fit. It's called a born again fit, I guess. Faith is the evidence of a right relationship with God. It's what naturally comes forth. It's called fruit. It's just a natural course of life when a man has a right relationship to God. He simply takes God at his word. He counts on God to do what he said. That's all faith can be. Your faith can't make it work. It's not true because I believe it. It's true because God said it. My faith brings me to the benefits of it. I'm just counting on God. 
He's not a man that he should lie. He's not the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. I'm counting on him to do that. That's all faith is. Is counting on God to do what he said. Can you all say that? Counting on God to do what he said. I half of you didn't. Let's say it one more time. Counting on God to do what he said. It's as simple as, as that. What has God said that you can count on? Well, you know, he said here that he would heal, but I, as a lot of people don't get healed. Wait a minute. You're counting on what people said. Do you believe that what he said is true about your body? I mean, Bonnie and I hadn't had a pill or a medicine for going on 40 years now. I mean, it's got to work, not because it works for us. It works because he said it. But he did say, be followers of those who through faith and patience. That's still in Hebrews 6. To be followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It's a good thing to be well. Trust me with that. It's a good thing to be well and to feel good and get up every day and just be glad. Would you turn to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 24. In light of what I've said today to all of you here, all of you that listen somewhere, let's end it with this verse. And he that keepeth his commandments dwells in him. Does your Bible say that or close to that? He that is faithful to do what God said is literally dwelling in God. That's your dwelling place. And hereby, by this, we know that he abideth in us, indwells us by the Spirit which he has given us. That's who illumines enlightens, leads, guides, informs, keeps, blesses, and protects us. It's the Spirit of God. Now, test yourself. Do you qualify there? Are you abiding in Christ? It's a good thing to ask yourself. Is the road you're on this morning rocky? Are you held captive to your feelings and passions and urges? Or have you given the power of those things back to the devil and let God take care of you? Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to minister to all of us. We've had another chance this morning. Another opportunity has been given to us in our life this morning. To speak the word and to hear the word, I pray that we have all done it right I pray that nobody's heart is misinformed, that nobody will believe it because I said it, but that what is believed this morning will have been quickened to people's hearts by your Spirit. As we approach this communion table this morning, we are grateful and we are thankful for the privilege and the opportunity of knowing something about it. That the one we focus on now, the one who is the honor and the joy of our life, is the one who paid the supreme price so that I can have the supreme joy. May we do him justice this morning with our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen.
Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness from above. Where the prince of life are ransomed, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise. He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love let me all thy loves accepting Love thee ever all my days. Let me seek thy kingdom only, and my life be to thy praise. Thou alone shall be my glory. Nothing in this world I see. Thou hast cleansed and sanctified me. Thou thyself hast set me free. In thy truth thou thus direct me, by thy spirit, by thy word. And thy grace my need is meeting, as I trust in thee, my Lord. Of thy fullness thou art pouring Thy great love and power on me Without measure full and boundless Drawing out my heart to thee Here is love vast as the ocean Loving kindness as a flood When the prince of life our ransom Shed for us his precious blood Who his love will not remember Who can cease to sing his praise He can never be forgotten Throughout heaven's eternal days If you know it, sing it with me. On the mount of crucifixion Fountains open deep and wide Through the floodgates of God's mercy Flowed a vast and gracious tide grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above and heaven's peace 
and perfect justice kiss the guilty world in love.